taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and we bring you the Word of the Lord, coming from Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Therefore repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there it is. I don't know if I'm in the future or if I'm in the back. I'm not sure. Um, you know, but 88 mile an hour has something to do with it, I'm sure. <laughs> well said. <laughs> oh, yep. That's good stuff right there. I tell you, this this whole series, while we're doing this uh, musical theme along with it, just kind of brings back and stirs up some memories of just some fun stuff that we've been we grew up with and I, I i you know some of the stuff these kids have nowadays man they don't even they don't even know what they're missing don't get me started on gi joe and transformers and some of those great cartoons we had back in the day <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness you know there was nothing wrong with scooby-doo and that's right any of that it was good stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Brian, we're we're kind of cruising through this uh, Christology series here. We're into part six, and I just hope that our listeners have taken a taken a little bit of time to go back and listen to it, or or to just keep track of what they're doing, but also write down the scriptures that we've been um, that we've been talking about or or bringing up, bringing to point, and um, even putting it in the show show notes if if they can go back and look at that. And follow along with the thoughts that we have with this, and actually start, um, uh, I guess, categorizing it or or shelving um, the information in their own mind as far as where and what we've what we've talked about. This is one heck of a Bible study that I believe, you know, small groups or other people or you know, uh, just just people in general, if they wanted to go back and and go through it as a Bible study. And actually look through it, but also um, go along with the podcast and and actually use it as a, a small group study. I think it'd be great. Yeah, Curtis. One one of the things I would love to do with this with this series of podcasts and really moving forward is to develop something comparable to the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics, but have it for theology. I don't know if it would you know necessarily title it the same thing or or what or maybe something different but uh but have something where it lays out kind of like what we did with with the last two podcasts laying out the major theories out there given the pros and cons you know i envision it if the lord gets me through the dissertation then i have a few other uh book projects in mind that i'd like to um, to finish and then other one you know to do possibly but but that's in the near future if god allows me time here on earth and saving the return of christ before then you know if uh 
that that's something I can see in the not too distant future happening. Is I'd love to do mm-hmm. something type of theology book that covers these major issues. But but I'll be honest with you, Curtis. You know, I thought the first study we did was good, but I think this one is ten times even better. If I can be just to be simply honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And i I think I think it's all I think it's all good. I think you know we could actually make this into you know different levels as far as how deep some people wanted to go oh, with yeah. their groups or with their with their you know um, with their teaching. And, and I think it'd be great to. Um, I really do. I think it'd be great to have this as some sort of you know study where people are sitting around a you know a picnic bench while they're while they're out at the park or out in their yard or whatever and they're and they're visiting about it you know even around the campfire and they're visiting about it and they actually kind of go through it and 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 work through it for a couple of weeks you know i think it'd be great and to your point curtis i think you know you don't even have to wait till a book comes out i think as you said you know just simply taking what we've done and and kind of laying it out i think you're absolutely right i think you can make a wonderful bible study series out of this Mm-hmm. yeah it's just about the information's there. It's just, you know, in the book form, it would be organized and, um, you know, it'd be organized in a way that you could actually work through that, you know, a little easier. But um, I don't I don't think it'd be that bad to just even take the show notes and, and go from there. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just out of curiosity, you know, I just got done with the with the article um that was wrote there and so did tony and so did some others so um do you have kind of a list of of quick list of maybe some articles that kind of popped up through uh bellator christie that um that we could kind of just highlight here there are some good well well, we've got a bunch of good ones here here lately uh let me let me pull up the the list in fact last week if if i can can brag a little bit brag on our team Last week we saw an amazing amount of views. We saw well over a thousand views in one week, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, mind you, a lot of a lot of weeks, will a lot of months, will have, you know, maybe uh, you know three or four thousand or something like that altogether, uh, or or maybe less than that. But but this was like well over a thousand views for one for one week, which was phenomenal. Uh, we don't always get that, but um, but looking back, looking back at the stats, let me let me pull this up right quick. Um, Looking at the at the site stats, and I apologize if you hear my son back in the background. He, <laughs> I love him to death, but when he whispers, it's, it's basically what most people shouts would be. <laughs> love him dearly, and thank the Lord he's feeling better because he's he was sick this really sick this past this past uh, this past week, and so we're grateful and thankful that uh, uh, the Lord uh, really really healed him and brought him through. So, um, looking back at let's look at this week. It's not wanting to cooperate with me here. If it been any other time, it would have come up perfectly. Okay, so this week, bringing up some of the articles we had, we had uh, one that you wrote. You know what, Curtis? That was almost two two thousand, almost eleven hundred views we had uh, wow. last week. And so, um, bringing up this week, we had a bunch of good ones. We had uh, the one I wrote on moral models of oral tradition and transmission of early tr- uh, Jesus traditions did very well. Uh, Tony has been writing a series of articles. As uh, as uh, 
what Good Reasons Apologetic has, has really morphed into uh, the Bellator Christie ministry. Uh, he's been writing a series of articles uh, continuing what he did on Good Reasons, giving one good reason for a particular, uh, answering a, a particular objection. And so he, he, wrote, uh, he wrote that this past week, and uh, which is a good one. Uh, let me just pull up the website yeah. here. Uh, you wrote a good one on, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Um. Yeah, it's just it's just talking about the see the the my well, my former pastor always taught taught me to look at the Bible in layers, and so I've oh I've been looking at it in those ways. There's trigger words. There's things that there's ideas. There's things that um, that that tie into each other, and I was trying to start a start a series of of articles that talk about it. We got the top surface scriptural story that we pull in that's the historic story but to show the divine nature of it there's also a written undercurrent that's underneath the top layer Mm -hmm. and as you go down and down and down and and pastor lynn would always say looking at scripture is like looking at the vast ocean it's just it's beautiful and it's and it's complete and it's and you know it just it's all in wonder but he says, what I'm going to do is give you the goggles to mm-hmm. look underneath the water and to just look at these, look at the coral reefs and the colors and the, and the way things flow and move and turn. And, and so I want to kind of try to capture that in a series of articles along with that, maybe helping people um, stir the thought or stir the idea that um that that the bible's written in that and i you know yeah you can get off on some on some bad rails and you can really get wonky with it if you start twisting and turning but it's actually truly just the plain meaning is the plain meaning but there's there's also a undercurrent that actually enhances that meaning showing the divine nature of the scripture absolutely and in this that t- the uh, title of the article is called interpreting with biblical layers and there's a little section in there that we're you know com- comparing the way augustine you know viewed so all uh, oh, right yeah great great right. article it was in the top 10 list this past week also teach uh, tony williams had the uh, good reasons thing he wrote one good reason to believe that jesus is the only way to heaven uh we also had dr dan merritt uh, wrote a piece that was really getting a lot of attention. Uh, did Paul error when he agreed to sponsor four Jewish men taking a Nazarite vow? This is in response to a question we had on the, on the Bellator Christie podcast. Dr. T.J. Gentry also writes a response to uh, a, a uh, person who asked a question on the Bellator Christie, talking about the ABCs of the Kerygma. And so uh, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up here. In fact, yeah. we have another Q&A coming up here this week uh, that Justin um, Angelos did, and that one I hope to write soon. So we've got a bunch of stuff. This is this is in addition to the regular con- contributions we have weekly. So it's exciting time, a very exciting time at Bellator Christie. Yeah, and what's what's crazy is the, the level of questions we're getting. Yeah. I mean, these are these are... These are good, deep questions. Ones that some of them I don't even have a clue. I'm like, you guys can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but, and I'm very, I'm very pleased to see this interaction, and I highly want to, I, I want to highly encourage people to continue doing that. Go to Bellator Christie. There should be a link there that you can find on the homepage. And if you can't find it, 
contact one of us. You know, you can find us on yep. Facebook, most of us, uh, or you can email us. Um, you know, so you know, get in contact with us and let us know if you have any problems getting getting there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we better get on this. So I, I was going um, to say the same. <laughs> so following our um, Christology um, series that we're doing, part six is the work and functions of Christ. So let's just jump right in. The first first question I'm going to ask is, as we talk about the work of Christ, what are the three functions or Christ's work? And so I've been using some theology books, and one that I've really been referencing uh, it has been Millard Erickson's Christian Theology. This is the book that we used and through our systematic theology classes at uh, Liberty and, and many other universities use it as well. He, he notes that when he's talking about the functions of Christ, that there are three main functions, revelation, rule, and reconciliation. Well, my mind started thinking about that and contemplating on, on those, three, those three functions, and I thought, oh, yeah, that, that, that goes along with the three roles that Jesus serves as prophet, priest, and king. And so, uh, and that's what we essentially see. Now, the first one we, we look at is his, his function as the revelation of God. And in this sense, he's serving as a prophet of God. Now, understand the difference between a prophet and a priest. A prophet is hearing a word from God and is, and is providing to the people the message he hears from God. The priest is taking the sin atonement from the people and offering it up to God. So you see the roles are, are different, but they're, they're still connecting God with humanity. But what we have in Jesus is the full revelation of the Heavenly Father. The full rev revelation of God, because I believe it's in Colossians, and the Colossians Creed, that it talks about that he is the image of the invisible God. And I think there's a passage in Hebrews that says, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 1, if memory yeah. serves, that he is the exact expression of the Father. Yeah. And Karl Barth, yeah. while I'm not a big, big Karl Barthian, he, he talks a lot in his, in his book, Church Dogmatics, about the mystery of God. And and how a lot of things about the about God can never be fully revealed. But he says this that in Christ the mystery of God was made visible to humanity. And so when we talk about Jesus being the revelation of God, we're talking about him serving as the ultimate prophet of God. And so we have a bunch of scripture. <laughs> we want to look at uh, concerning this. And we see that, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about humiliation and the humiliation that Christ went through um, in, in his work. But we first of all want to take a look at just even how even serving this role of prophet, quite frankly, can bring humiliation to him. Consider this, that this is God coming in the flesh and he's, and he's going through these things. So, Curtis, would you look up uh, Matthew thirteen fifty seven for us at yeah, yeah, I've got it right here. So, um, we can give a narrative later on this. We'll just kind of get through. So, thirteen fifty seven says, "And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and in his own household.'" Yeah, and so in in, in verse eleven of chapter twenty one, 
the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. You know, they're saying, who is this guy? He came from Nowheresville. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he it may not be in, in, uh, in nowhere, but it's pretty close to it. It's about as close to nowhere as you can get in, in, uh, Nazareth. And so he, what he didn't come from a high stately, um, family. He, you know, he was born to, in, to a, a, uh, a, a, the woman virgin, the Virgin Mary, and he was born to this family. But you know, he talks about how even he is not given due honor, even though he's the full revelation of God. Come, he bears the humiliation of being misunderstood. He bears the humiliation of of not being taken seriously. And none of us, right. none of us want that. None of us want to be misunderstood. If we say something, we want people to understand what we're trying to communicate. And if someone takes what we say and they twist it and make it something different, that's that's really um, disrespectful to us. It's, it's humiliating to us, and that's what we see in Jesus. That he came, and yeah. he, even though he was the full image of God, he still bore that dishonor that came with the functionality of of his role as a, yeah. as the high prophet. Yeah, even his even his brothers didn't didn't believe him didn't believe him until the resurrection. Absolutely, I mean, it states it's you know it states that James James wasn't even a believer. You know, it even talks about it in uh, in John and in Matthew. They're talking about uh, you know your mother and brothers are here. Absolutely, He's like, uh, you know, because they were coming to get they were coming to take him away because they thought he was had lost his mind. They thought he was mad. Yeah. So even his family <laughs> thought nuts. that that he had gone nuts, and so but but he yeah. was also recognized by others as as being a prophet who is powerful in word and deed. Let's take a look at at Luke chapter twenty four verse nineteen. Yeah, and it says, uh, and he said to them, "What things?" And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. So, so the the very word of Jesus, if we understand him being the word, means that he had the exact word from the right. Father being given to people. And there was power in this word. There was power in the deed. And I'm working even now on a part of my my dissertation talking about how this work, he, he didn't take full credit for this work. He said this is the Spirit of God working. This is the Spirit of God working. So there's that divine connection you see there. And also in John right. chapter 16, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, truly this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, now this is after the feeding of the 5,000. They only counted men. By the time you count women and children, it's more likely it was around yeah. 20,000 people that he fed yeah. with a f- few fish the size of sardines and a few loaves of bread. And he fed right. 20,000 people, and there were barrels of, of bread and fish left over even after yeah. this. And so— Twelve of them, to be exact. Yeah, absolutely. And so they said, this is truly <laughs> the prophet who has come into the world. So who is this prophet they're talking about? Well, let's take a look at Acts 3.22. It says— uh, uh, Moses said, "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. For your brothers, you shall listen to him, and in whatever he tells you." And it goes on to say more. Yeah, and so here he's yeah, quoting. 
Yeah, and here he's quoting Deuteronomy 18.15. And this goes back, if, if people will go back and listen to the series we did on Messianic prophecies around, around Christmas time, mm-hmm. it talks about the prophet who would come, and Jesus was indeed this prophet who would come. And so we right. see in, in John 1.18, think about this, and this is a powerful verse here. No one has ever seen God, John says, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's right hand. He writes this, of course, after Jesus had had died, buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven. The one and only Son, who is himself, the monogamies, Mm -hmm. the unique Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's right hand, he has revealed him. He is the full revelation of of God the Father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's take a look at there at uh, John 14, verse 9. So 14, 9, um, it says, uh, Jesus, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not believe and know me? Philip, he was addressing Philip, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. So, so they recognized the fact, or, or Jesus was teaching them, that, that he was, in fact, the image of the Father. Now, here you go. Th- this is a bold statement for someone to make. You know, this is a very bold right. statement for someone to make. So here you, you, you follow along with C.S. Lewis's argument, was he a liar well, if he's right. a liar, then right. you wouldn't want to follow him. If, is he a lunatic, someone on the level of thinking that he's a poached egg? Well, he doesn't show signs of doing that. There's no signs that this is legendary material because they came out the gate preaching this. So this means he right. must be telling the truth and who he is, and the resurrection right. confirms that. And so therefore, he must be the Lord of all creation, just as he says. And by the way, let me say here, there's this connection made with the prophet. C.F. Bernie and Joaquin Jeremiah have linked Jesus' message with the prophetic style of the Old Testament prophets. He, he uses a lot of the symmetry you find in the Old Testament prophets in his teachings. He uses a lot of the um, uh, parallelisms that you find in the Old Testament prophets. It's really interesting, the connection between Jesus and the prophets of old. So John 16, verses 13 through 15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes... Okay, this is 16, 13 through 15. He will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, he will glorify Christ, because he will take from that what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is what I told you that he takes from me is what is mine, and I will declare it to you. In other words, the Spirit of God is going to remind the apostles and will even remind us of the things that Jesus said. So Jesus is speaking the words of the Lord. The Spirit of God is going to remind us of the words of the Lord. And so all of this is being corroborated, directed, and guided by the Father himself. So there's this unity between the triune nature of God. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Yeah, so it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so what we've we've been talking about previously, we've talked about the past prophetic work of God. 
the the verse I read in John 16 talking about the Spirit of God and the verse that Curtis just read talking about how we see partially is talking about the ongoing revelation of God. Now, this revelation isn't it doesn't mean that we're given new information necessarily, but he's revealing to us the message that we find in Scripture, that we find from Jesus, uh, preserved by the Holy Spirit, that God is directing us to this full revelation that we find in Jesus. So we see there's a past element of Jesus' prophetic ministry. There's a present function of Jesus' pro- prophetic ministry, but there's also right. a future a function of Jesus' prophetic ministry. And to that we go to John, 1 John 3.2. Do you have that one? Uh, I can. <laughs> give, me I was, just, give me just one second. I was on to the next one already. <laughs> That's no problem. 1 John 3.2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he also appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That faith, that hope that we have. Faith doesn't mean believing in something for which there's no evidence. Faith is a trust. That faith, that trust, that hope we have will be fully revealed, will be fully actualized, will be fully seen when Christ returns. And man, oh man, oh man, what a day that's going to be. Right. Yeah, amazing. And so then we move from the revelation, his function being a prophet, to the function of his rule, him being a king. And so, uh, Curtis, I think we have the first passage of Scripture. Is that Matthew thirteen forty one there? Yeah, that uh, thirteen forty one. Um, and I had uh, just had it, and my page flipped right as I was doing that. I'm I'm using you know the paper Bible, folks. So I'm cheating. <laughs> it says forty one. It says the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all law lawbreakers. Oh yeah. Now read that one more time for us, Curtis. I'm sorry. So, so, well, I won't go into all of it, but he's talking about the parable of the weeds. Um, you know, he's actually going through and describing all of it. So he's 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 saying here, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Okay, so that's the future aspect. Here again, we see the past, present, and future. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is Christ's. And and if you follow the narrative of Jesus' teachings throughout the Sermon on the Mount, other passages of Scripture, he's saying that this eschatological kingdom of God is coming through him, being the Son of Man. It's coming through him. Some people try to say the Son of Man isn't used in that way. Listen, if you follow the narrative and you follow what Jesus is saying, he clearly makes a connection back to Daniel chapter 7. There's just no denying that, unless you just want to... Dis- discredit the passages that do, and that's what some people do, unfortunately. Right. But yep. he's saying that this future, this current kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is already here, but at the end, this future kingdom will be actualized, and there will be this separation of the sheep from the goats uh, whenever the angels return at the second coming of Christ. Now, we also see there's a present ruling of God, of Christ. Uh, notice in Colossians, and I'll go ahead and read both of these verses here, Curtis. Uh, okay. in, in Colossians chapter 1, 
We see this early creed. He talks about in verse 15 that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Notice he says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, all the angels were created by him. Remember, Christ is the subject here. Now notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. He's not saying in the future. He's saying right now he is before all things. And right now, by him, all things hold together. As, as Basil of Caesarea said, and I believe it was the 4th century, that if God took his hand off of creation, everything would, be, would just cease to exist, including yeah. even humanity. We would just cease to exist if he took his hand off of creation. So even in eternity, he's upholding us, even throughout all eternity. So by him, all things hold together. Notice we see, who. let me ask the question. Who is the head of the church? Is it the pastor? Is it the elders? Is it the deacons? Not if it's a real church. Look what he says in verse 18. He I is, sure hope you weren't asking me because, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Notice what it says in verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Folks, if, Preeminence, yeah. absolutely. if he is not number one in our hearts and number one in our churches, That's right. he doesn't take second place to anything or anyone. He is preeminent. Right. He is God incarnate, and he must take first place. And if he's not, then, then what's being worshipped is not truly God. It's something else. Yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now. This is just one number yeah, one. Well, no, you keep going because I <laughs> <laughs> preach it because I'm right there with you. Yeah, that's why we always say, you know, to to have a proper to have a proper um, relationship with with people and with with your with your spouse or with with your family. God's got to be first. It gets your heart right, your mind right, gets you in the right position to where you can actually learn to love the others that are behind you or below you Amen. on that, in that pattern. So, yeah, it's important. So, so Curtis, if you will, how about taking our next one? And this one is going to be in Philippians chapter 2. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I'm going to have you read the whole thing because in the next in the next part, we're going to come back to this. We won't reread it again, but we'll, just, we'll come back to this. How about taking a look at verses 5 through 11? This is the Philippians hymn. In uh, Philippians okay. 2, 5 through 11. Okay, so here it is. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours okay, uh, in let, let, Christ let, Jesus. Let me, let me pause you just one second. I'm sorry, Curtis. I gotta... <laughs> it's going to take a long time to get through this if you keep interrupting me. <laughs> Notice what he starts off by saying. This is the attitude we must have. Now, this is going into our next section, but just right. keep this in mind. What is this attitude? It's this attitude of humility that he has. Uh, go ahead, Curtis. I'll try not to interrupt him. Yeah. I make yeah. no promises, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have this, among, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born, in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on uh, on him the name 
that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory mm. and the God mm. of the Father. Whew. God the Father. Yeah. We, so, so 9 through 11 boy. is where we really want to take, for our current purposes, we talk about the rule of God. Notice here, he's exalted him. He's given him a name that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means people, angels, demons, everyone bows before the name of mm. Jesus. That's the power of his rule. And he doesn't, or not, we notice that he doesn't only rule in the future, he also currently rules even now. Right. And so let's take a right. look at uh, Isaiah 9 7. You might have to take, well, there we are, 9 7. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is just incredible but here's the here's the seven it says of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end and on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this mm. and you know in, in hebrews chapter 1 uh verse 8 now here, here we're looking at the eternal reign of the Messiah, mm-hmm. but notice here in in uh, Hebrews one eight he he mentions the passage of scripture you just read, but he also combines it with uh, Psalm forty five verses six through seven, saying your your throne God is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God your God has anointed you with all of joy beyond your companions. And here he's talking about, to understand this, he's talking about how Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. There you go. Sustaining all things mm-hmm. by his powerful word. And he's talking about Christ even there. He recognizes that his kingship, his reign and rule will last for eternity. And that brings mm-hmm. us to not only is he the revelation of God the prophet, the rule of God the king, but we also see that he's a re- reconciliation of God that is his that is his priesthood. And so let's take a look at John 17, verses 13 through 15. This is the priestly prayer, part of the priestly prayer that Jesus right. prays uh, at, at, the, uh, at the Last Supper before going into the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. It says... But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that they, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So notice, you know, Christ is praying. That, or is there more? I could go on, but no, it's yeah. It's just he's he's yeah. Oh. Go ahead. So so anyhow, I just want to make sure I didn't cut you off there. <laughs> so nope. so he's praying for the disciples. But if you notice, if you follow that, he doesn't only pray just for the apostles. Then he also prays for future believers who would come. That's so right. you that's and right. I. That's, a, that's you and me. Yeah. You and I, we are in the pages of Scripture because Christ himself referenced to future believers who would come 
in that full revelation that's preserved in the Scripture, you and I are there. We're actually in the pages of Scripture as he's praying yeah. for us, yeah, yeah. that priestly role yeah. that he has. And so Romans chapter uh, yeah. 8, verses 33 through 34, I mean, every single one of these passages of Scripture, we could spend an entire podcast on that. He, but he notice what he says in, in Romans chapter 8. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? This is God's people, God, mm-hmm. the, 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 the people who respond to the grace of God. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he goes on to say in verse 37, Mm -hmm. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're super conquerors through him who loved us. So the reason he can say that is because we have been reconciled to God. And we'll talk more about this as we go along. But let's look at one last passage of Scripture on this section, and that's Hebrews 7.25. Yeah, it says, um, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he, is, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always lives to make intercession. He's making intercession for us. It's, that's not just a past tense. He does it for us even now. Uh, past, present, and future, we see our salvation is built and established on Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And, it's amazing. And just to, just to kind of maybe um, give uh, a, a little bit of definition what intercession means, Brian, so, so, we can kind of, so we can kind of get the impact of that. Yeah, so so he is appealing our case before the Father. If there should be anyone who brings an accusation against us, if there should be any reason one may find fault, we we have that intercession, that advocacy from Christ. He's like our defense attorney standing on behalf of us. Like like a lawyer. Yeah, like a lawyer standing between us. And so um, and so we see this this priestly work of Christ. It's uh, it. Man alive. Well, we could go so far into that, but we're just still in question <laughs> yep. one, and we need to move on. <laughs> right. Right. Seven questions, folks, if you're following along, so bear with us. <laughs> yeah. So the second, the second question, what do we mean by Christ's work of humiliation? So when we talk about Christ's work, we have to understand, and this— we're not going to read the Philippians hymn again because we've we've already read it. Um, but referencing that, just note the humility that it took of Christ to even be born in the first place. Because remember, the hymn says, "Adopt this same mind which was in Christ." He came from everything. He he knew no sin. He had everything there is. It would be like the richest individual coming to live in a in a shanty, is what it accounts to. Uh, maybe even worse than that. But just just consider that, that, that he left the throne of heaven to come be with us. And notice in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the word being Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He left the throne of heaven to come be one of us. Now, what did Jesus do with his divine attributes? Some people said that he replaced them with human attributes. Other people said that he gave them up completely. 
I don't know that I'd really buy into that. Some people said that he just gave up the usage, that, that he had them, but he didn't use use it. He limited himself, so to speak. And some people said he asked, acted as if he didn't have them, which is the true answer. I don't know. It could be a blend. I don't think he gave them up uh, necessarily, mm-hmm. but I think he limited his use, obviously, because the Bible tells us that he could have called ten legions of angels to come take him down off the cross had right. he so chose. Right. All he had to do is speak the word, and they would have been there and removed him from the cross, and then salvation would not be there for us. And he would be justified in doing so, but he didn't. So yeah. there's that humility of even the incarnation. And we see the humility in his death. Uh, we'll just read one of these passages of Scripture. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew twenty six sixty eight. So... 68 says, um, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So, yeah, they're teasing him. They're, um, they're, they're, they're making fun of his claims. I mean, you know, it, they thought they had the power and authority over him, but no wonder if, if I were one of these soldiers and found out that he really literally rose from the dead, I would wet myself thinking, oh, my goodness, what did we just do, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, so we see the humility he he bore through his death, uh, the humility he bore through the incarnation, but also think of the humility of the descent. Now, Psalm sixteen is a messianic psalm. It says, "For you will not abandon me to Sheol or the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay." Referencing the resurrection, we've got a series coming up on this messianic prophecies pointing to the resurrection of Jesus coming up. But he t- he references the whole Sheol part. How about um, Ephesians four eight through ten? How about that one for us, Sir Curtis? Well. Or did you have First Peter? No, I did. No, I got it. Four ten. So it says, uh, "He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things." So he's referencing this peculiar passage of scripture, which we also find in First Peter three eighteen, and this is the one people will will mostly recognize. For Christ also suffered for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring mm-hmm. to you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And then in, the, in, in a few, that is, eight people were saved through water. What does that passage of Scripture mean? There are multiple <laughs> multiple interpretations on that. We definitely don't have time to go into that. But we do see that there was something that Christ did, that he descended. Mm-hmm. Did he descend to hell? Possibly. But there's something he did between the time of uh, his death. Uh, it seemed like you know his death and in his uh, ascension to heaven, or especially his resurrection. So something between the period of time of his death and his resurrection had happened, and it seemed like he may have gone into the bowels of of, of hell, so to speak. So uh, that took a lot of, definitely a lot of humility uh, to do that as well. So that's basically uh, what we talk, what we can talk about as far as the work of humility or the work of humiliation that he underwent for each and every one of us. Right. So the third question is, what is the exaltation factor of Christ's ministry. So there are four aspects of Christ's exaltation. So he came, 
He was he's incarnate. He's prophet, priest, king. He came. He went through humiliation on our behalf so that we could be made right with God. But then he's exalted. God didn't leave him to be just simply humiliated. God exalted him, and he did this by four ways. First of all, he rose from the dead. Uh, John 20, 25 through 27. How about reading that one for us there, Curtis? Yeah, and this is um, Thomas coming to the disciples, and it says, uh, 25 says, So the other, other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks in the, of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Mm. And so Jesus eventually came back uh, 11 days after the initial experiences that they had. On the 11th day after the initial resurrection encounters, he appears to the disciples and Thomas, and Thomas says to him, My Lord and my God. My God. And right. we want to call him Doubting Thomas, but let's 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 start calling him believing Thomas because he gave his life. There's a good there's good evidence to suggest that Thomas died in Madras, India, being speared to death, believing in the resurrected Jesus. So, if you know if that's true and there's good evidence to suggest that it is, then then quite honestly, I think we have a good solid footing to say that uh, he was not doubting Thomas. He was in fact believing Thomas. Right. But Christ not yep. only rose from the dead. Now, by the way, if you want to reference another passage of Scripture on this, look to 1 Corinthians fifteen forty four. The oh, entire yeah. the entire chapter fifteen talks about the resurrection. But but we won't we won't go there. But we will. Um, we're going to go talk not only about the resurrection but the ascension. Now, the ascension's always been a, a puzzling thing in in one sense for me because we know that you you can't take a rocket ship and go straight up. And, and eventually get to heaven. There, there's a spatial, spiritual dimension. And I think that him leaving, coming up, upward, was was just simply a way, way of showing that he was being drawn to the Father. This cloud was taking him up, and eventually he entered into that spiritual realm. Um, how? I have no clue. And and to be honest, this is an area that I still struggle to try to, fig- to figure out and understand. And I don't know that there's really a definitive answer um, I, I think that maybe this cloud ushered him into. I definitely think this cloud ushered him into the the physical presence or, or the the very spiritual presence of God. How and how and when or how did that happen? I have no clue. But uh, I think he was taken into that spiritual domain, so to speak. But yet having this glorified body. F- Acts chapter one gives us the story of the ascension. Acts one six through eleven says. So when they had come together, they asked. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's really all we're told. It took them out of us, out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And I love this passage of Scripture. I think this is the funniest passage of Scripture in all the Bible. They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. In other words, I imagine envision them looking up with their mouths 
you know, dropped open, thinking, oh, wow. And all of a sudden, these angels are standing by there mm-hmm. and said, uh, why are you looking up? Didn't he give you marching mm-hmm. orders? Go and wait for the Holy yeah. Spirit and get ready. <laughs> see, see, now, for me, be, just because of my, uh, you could say, my Western heritage, <laughs> I, I picture... I picture two old two old cowboys standing side by side with toothpicks out there, and they just lift up the brim of their hat and be like, "What are you guys staring at? Didn't he tell you what he was going to do?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> for That's all we, I see it. for all we know, angels wear cowboy hats. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, oh, we're gonna start a new heresy! Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. So we see oh, the resurrection, yeah. we see the ascension, and then we see after he ascended. What happened after he ascended? Well, let's take a look at uh, Matthew twenty six sixty four. We see that he was seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, and that's uh, Matthew twenty six sixty four. Yeah, it says Jesus said to him, "You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the pow- right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven." And so since I have, I wasn't planning on reading it, but I, I'm right here at it. Acts 2, 33-36 uh, says, The apostles say, uh, Therefore, since he has been mm. exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And boy, that took a lot of boldness, a lot of guts for them to say this to the very Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to death. Oh, man. And yeah. so, um, but they, they knew that he had been exalted to the right hand of God. And this also tells us about, uh, we also anticipate the exaltation coming from the second coming. And we'll talk a little bit about this uh, in, as we, this will be the, the, the final podcast we do on Christology. We're going to take a little bit of a look at the second coming. And so, Curtis, can you read Matthew 25, verse 31 for us? Sure. And I was just going to say, you know, the other thing is, is in, uh, in Acts where, where uh, Stephen got stoned um, when, with rocks, not weed, but they, <laughs> they, 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 when they stoned him, they, he, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So, Amen. Anyway, it was 20, uh, Matthew 25, what was that? Uh, 20, 25, 31. That's what I thought you said. It says, uh, uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And it just goes on. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Oof, duh. Absolutely. There it is. Uh, every knee will bow. <laughs> you, you know, I never would, when you talked about stoning, I never would thought, thought think about that being used in the other the term. But, you know, growing up in the time period we did, you know, we heard Tom Petty, and he had a lot of songs talking about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Unfortunately, these days we've got to make that clarification. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not. I'm not too far from Oregon, so those they 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 tend to think that way pretty easily over that direction. <laughs> so we see the exaltation of Christ through the resurrection, the ascension, sitting at the right, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and also coming back at the second coming. He'll be truly exalted then. 
So we've t- we've taken a look at the three functions following the narrative, prophet, priest, king. We see that he has the work of humiliation. He was exalted. And now we take a look at uh, our, our fourth thing. Yeah, so the number fourth is uh, what, is, what is Christ's substitutionary work? We had already touched on this a little bit the last the last podcast, but we can kind of maybe give a little more scripture on that, I guess. We we, we did, and and here we want to we want kind of we want to kind of paint more of a picture because you know in the last two we were kind of really talking about the different theories. We, we kind of want to paint a picture, and we kind of actually alluded to this in the last podcast. Uh, so we want to paint the picture of this. So first of all, we see the weight of sin. And I'll read the first one here. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps mm-hmm. the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking them all. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, for he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. And and think about this in terms of Christ's standards, where he said that adultery is the, he equivocates adultery with lust, uh, or lust with adultery, and, and hatred with murder. So how many mm-hmm. of us can ever say that we've lived our lives scot-free, uh, without, I mean, this is why you know this this whole notion that uh, we talk about works based salvation. Why it doesn't work? Because right. to be able to live the type of life you need to live to get to heaven of your own accord would mean that you live your entire life you never lust, you never are angry with someone, and the moment you do, despite your good works, has eliminated you from contention. Of being in in heaven because that one sin, that one sin makes you guilty of them all. So, what are we to do? Well, Jesus came and he was hung on a what? A tree. But what does Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22, and 23 tell us about being hung upon a tree? It says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, verse 22, his body shall not remain all night on that tree. But you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for the inheritance. And Jesus was hung on a tree, which made him accursed. So not only if you're the disciples are you troubled by the fact that your Messiah has been executed, you've got to, in the back of your mind, be thinking, oh my goodness, he was hung yep. on a tree. That means he's become accursed of God, accursed from the land. So what do we do with this? The, the sinless Son of God, who never committed a sin in his life, came and he was a curse on a tree. What do we do with this? Well, we find in the New Testament, we're told that Christ became the curse of the law to redeem. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says he 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 goes on to say we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. It says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He bore our sin Catch that. He bore our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let's take a look at Galatians 3.13. Yeah, and this is kind of that area where, if I'm not mistaken, where uh, Martin Luther um, had a revelation of of the, the righteous shall live by faith, if I'm not mistaken. That may be true. And that's actually a quote from Habakkuk. So it's, it initiates yeah. in Habakkuk. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
it says it says in 313 it says uh Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Mm. So here again Christ became the curse for us. He became he took the curse for us. Now why would you know this? Here again if Christ had not been literally risen from the dead as he was Christianity would have been dead in the water the moment Christ was crucified and died. Mm. There's no way they would have they would have followed, continued this movement to have a Jewish man crucified on a tree, hung from a tree, which made him accursed. The th- difference was the resurrection. You had to have the resurrection, uh, the glorified body, the exaltation for right. the humiliation to make any sense, or for the for this substitute this the substitutionary work uh, to make That's any right. sense. And so we see in Hebrews. Uh, 928, that he's returning to bring ultimate salvation. Now, we are saved by by the blood of the Lamb. We have that assurance of our salvation. But when we talk about salvation, we talk about it past, present, and future. We were saved when Christ atoned for our sins. We are being saved as we we, uh, turn to him, are saved from our sins, and we're being sanctified. And we will be saved in the glorification of, it doesn't mean there are three acts. It just means it's part of the same work. Now, let's take a look at Hebrews 9, 27, 28. It says, And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Whew. Amazing. Mm. Yep. That's about enough to make even a Baptist shout. <laughs> <laughs> do the do the pew shuffle? It might. <laughs> yeah. We've got one more there. How about first Peter two twenty four? It says uh it says uh he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die uh, die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. So he's returning to bring the ultimate salvation, that glorification. So again, past, and we'll talk more about this when we have a series on salvation. But we have been saved, that's the justification. We're being saved through sanctification, and we will be saved by glorification. So that that describes the substitutionary work of Christ. Right. Yeah, and so what is the sacrificial work of Christ? It's sacrificial work. So this is linked in with the substitutionary work. So in, it's Christ's work on the cross is linking, linked to, likened to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses verses, uh, 6 through 15. That's Hebrews 9, 6 through 15. I won't read all of this, but I will just say this. He gives in verses 6 through um, 8 the the typology, the symbol that happens where the priest was going to the temple to uh, the, to enter the Holy of Holies. He does it one time a year at Yom Kippur and uh, never without blood for he offers a sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people. And so he goes on to verse 8 to say the Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place 
had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered but cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. And so he goes on to say in verse 11, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. So here again you see this imagery of how the temple was symbolic of this spiritual temple, this temple in heaven. That's right. And a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place, the throne room of God, once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling with those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much, catch this, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness, consciences, consciences, I'll say that right, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption for the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Mm-hmm. That is deep. Yeah, that, well, yeah, and that's and that's what they're right there. So, right there, Brian, my article with talking about layers. Yep. There's there's your there's some of your layers that you can actually start seeing starting to kind of peel back and actually showing that not only did Christ do this work, but also he was playing the role of a high priest. Not only is he playing a role of a high priest, he was also God taking care of what was already set in front of him. Absolutely. Yeah. What about, uh, we see the body was sacrificed. There's another example here. Hebrews 10, 5 through 18. Mm-hmm. And if you want to just kind of summarize that and pick out the key points of that, that'd be fine too. If you. Well, here I'm. Gonna, I'm gonna. I'll just read five through probably um, eight right now. But but just just to catch this, it says consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, "Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure." Then I said, "Behold." I have come to you, or come to do your will, O God. And it is written of me that the, that the in the scroll of the book. He's talking about in in the book of Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, well, let me see. Uh, I think this is talking. I think this has it Psalm. linked to Psalm 40, verses six through eight. Yeah, Psalm. Yeah, Psalm 40. Yep. Sorry. Oh no, you're fine. And then. And it says, so let's go down to verse 11, and here, here's something here. And it says, and every piece, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never be taken away, or ne- never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, all time, what? how much time? All time. <laughs> all time. A single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Yeah. Waiting from that time until the en- till his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. 
for by a single offering. How many offerings? Single one. Single offering. He has perfected for all times those who are being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Or sanctified, sorry. Yeah. And it, and it goes on to say, it says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord. That's, that's some powerful stuff. Do you notice the triune work of God there? You see the Father. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, look at the work of the Holy Spirit, reassuring us the work that Christ has done. That 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 actually we now have the Spirit verifying and advocating, or, or verifying and and giving us evidence that there's an Advocate in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. Mm-mm-mm. Good stuff. And you know, amazing thing about this too is is to I'll cons- take an offering now though. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. The, you know, pass the, the hat around. Pass the hat. <laughs> the amazing thing about this too to consider is the fact that as I was reading through Millard Erickson, he brings up a point that that Christ in this in his role here is both victim and priest. He is mm-hmm. both the, the, the sacrificer and the sacrificed. And mm-hmm. it's amazing to consider Consider this because Christ can identify with our pain more than really anybody else can. I mean, if if we've been if we've been shunned, obviously he was shunned. If we've been uh, misinterpreted or misunderstood, well, obviously he was. Uh, if we've if we've been falsely accused, or if we've been uh, even suffer and die. A, a, a death that we didn't deserve. Well, obviously, you see, Christ did all of those things. He he right. can identify with our suffering more than any other person ever could, and it's amazing because he is our advocate. But he's also he also identifies with our pain as only he could. And so this talks about the sacrificial work of Christ, which is amazing. There's just such a depth to this. We're just only covering the surface. Right. Right. So, number six, it says, what do we mean by Christ's propitiation for our sins? You know, we won't go into too much of this because we we talked quite a bit about this in the last two podcasts. Uh, Leviticus 4.35, let me turn there, Leviticus 4.35 is the only passage. It's always in Leviticus. (laughs) It is indeed. (laughs) Let's see if I can type it right. Let me just leave Leviticus 4. And 35, let me get here, and it says, He is to remove all of its fat, just as the fat of the lamb is removed from the fellowship sacrifice. The priest will burn it on the altar along with the food offerings to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement on behalf for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. Well, the interesting thing about Christ is the fact that uh, that he committed no sin. So, mm-hmm. whose sin is he atoning? Well, obviously, he's atoning, atoning the, the sin of humanity. Now, why were all these sacrifices necessary in the first place? Because there was a broken fellowship between God and humanity. And so, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was the propitiation, the payment for our sins, appeasing the, the the issues or resolving the issues between humanity and God. And so it's going back after that whole Leviticus motif there. And uh, so that's essentially propitiation. And if you want to know more about the propitiationary work of Christ, 
Go back and listen to uh, our last episode. I think that is what episode seventeen. Uh, yeah, episode seventeen. Yeah. Go back to listen. Yep. Episode, episode 17, seventeen of season five, and uh, you'll hear more about a, a propitiation there. Yeah. So then we'll look at number seven. It's it's what is Christ's ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, reconciliation, restoration, that that he makes us right with God. Now, what does this mean? Christ's atoning work brings an end to the enmity between between God the Father and the redeemed. So that so, what does this mean for the believer? If if Christ has reconciled us to God, what does this mean? Well, first of all, we see that we can boldly approach. Mm-hmm. The throne of God. Let's take a look at Hebrews 4.16. I'm going to jump back and go 15 real quick. It says, uh, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him. To help in the time of need. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. That'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> so just think when we pray, the mouth, the words that we utter from our mouths are not are not going into the vastness of nothingness. The words right. that we speak are actually going before the very throne room of God Himself. Mm-hmm. It's being yeah. heard by God the Father, and the reason that that is done, that is even that we even have that ability, is because Christ's death dissolved the separation that we had between, between God and ourselves. It opened that inner curtain of the throne of the Holy of Holies in the, in, on the earth, but it also opened the curtain, if there was a curtain between God's throne room and humanity, it opened it wide open so that we have open access to God Almighty. Right. Amazing right. stuff to consider. Yeah. And in uh, Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it says uh, that that the that the prayers of the saints are like a sweet aroma to God. So they mm. go up like, like sweet aroma, like a, like a scent that, that, that he's able to commune and take in and be able to, if you can imagine when you breathe in a sweet smelling candle or a sweet smelling, uh, fresh, how about this fresh baked pie or fresh baked cookies right out of the oven, that sweet smell just coming up. That's, that's the prayers from us going to heaven. And, you know, there's an imagery there, too, going back to Leviticus, of the table of incense mm-hmm. right there. Because when prayers were yep. offered in the holy place, the priest would you know light the incense, and he would yep. wave it into the holy of holies. The prayers yep. of the people would be that sweet aroma being going, going into the holy of holies. And it's the same okay. thing. Our prayers now, you don't have to have an altar of incense. Our prayers, because we are the redeemed of God... Are, are we are this. the priest. Yeah, we are the priest. It goes to the very throne room of God. It's a sweet aroma into the very yes. presence of power yeah, so of God. Not only does it go right to there, but it goes right to his ears. It tells it tells us that he hears every word, Absolutely. everything we pray. And the book so of Romans powerful. chapter 8 tells us that even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit of God prays for us. Yep. 
It groans and, and prays for us, yeah. Yeah, in words that we don't even understand. The spirit, folks. Woo! Yeah. Lord don't of mercy. Don't get Pentecostal on me. I make no promises. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, uh, also tells us something powerful here about the Holy Spirit. Notice it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. In other translations, it says, Don't quench the Holy Spirit. That means to put like a wet blanket on a flame. Don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, Listen to this. You were sealed by Him. For the day of redemption. Mm. And God's Holy Spirit is, is, is the Father's seal upon you that you are His. Uh, uh, uh. And we also have this promised eternal life with God in John yeah. chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. Yeah. And it's just even at 23, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Mm. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So, Jesus uses a triple negative there. Now, it would be the similar saying that you will know, not, never die. Now, in English, that's, that we can't do that. But in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, the biblical languages, that's perfectly acceptable because it serves as an intensifier. So if you say that you're never going to die, well, it's probably that you're not. If you say you're no, not going to die, it means you're probably, you know, good chances are highly likely that you're not going to die. But if you say no, not, never that means that it's impossible for you to die. So catch this. It goes along with what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. To be absent from this body is to be in the very presence of God. And right. so we continue to live with God until the second coming of Christ. When Christ returns, we, we return to our bodies, even if it's nothing more than a handful of That's dust. Right. And we will be recreated with a glorified body. And so that'll be a new type of creation that we'll have. But through all of it, we never cease to be. We never cease to exist. Throughout every single phase, we are living with God. So in life and in death, we have nothing to fear because we are in the very presence of God Almighty. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Good stuff. And then we talk about a glorified body, 1 Corinthians 15, 35-44. He talks about how are the dead raised. He talks about different type of bodies. He compares it to the different types of flesh and animals and and birds and fish and, and, and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. He talks about even the stars and sun. There's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. One star differs from another star in splendor. See, he goes on to say in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
Notice what he says, it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. And so, and so let me just go ahead and read the next few verses real quickly. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, like the man of dust. So are those who were of the dust, like the man of heaven. So are those who were of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man in heaven, meaning that we will have uh, that glorified body. Yeah. And so we not, not only see a glorified body, but we also see a glorified creation. Were you going to say something, Curtis? I got I just, on a roll. <laughs> just, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's just, it just goes to show you if if people live and look and, and dig through the scripture, live in the word, and let it just reside in you, the, the just the the hope that it brings in in troubled times. Just that right there mm. is unbelievable. Amen. But but we not only see that our bodies, we see that our souls are restored and reconciled to God. We see that our bodies are eventually going to be restored and reconciled to God. But even creation itself is going to be redeemed. Let's take a look at Romans 8.21. I'm going to back up there just a little bit and go to 19 and then go through 22 real quick. Because this is important to, for people to hear. Absolutely. Because it... it I want people to think about this because creation was subject to death when we, when when Adam sinned, and so verse nineteen says, "For the creation waits with eager longing in the revelation of the Son of God." It it also it says in another one it says earnest expectation. So it's 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 basically like a, a person on a stage, leaning right off the edge of the stage, leaning in, listening to what the crowd's saying, lean, listening to what's going on. And and so if you can kind of get that in your in your mind, for the creation was subject to fit, fut, uh, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is been is been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Mm. So even creation itself, as beautiful as this creation is, we go out and look at the stars at night, how beautiful they are, and the universe as it is, and the earth as it is, as beautiful as this place yep. is, it's nothing compared to the glorified kingdom, the glorified creation that's to come. And I believe yeah. in that glorified creation, you're going to see, I honestly believe that you're going to see all kind of animals. I think you're going to see all kind of life. I think you're going to see all kind of, uh, it, it, God demonstrated his creative ability in making this world. And if mm-hmm. this world is just a temporary, small comparison to what awaits us in heaven, that new creation, then he's really going That's to right. show off then. Uh, who yeah. knows what type of creatures are going to be there in that glorified yeah. kingdom? And yeah, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but and it's I guess it's a, I guess you know when we when we look around and we and, but we see the corruption or the um, the things that that this creation leans into. It, you know, like like I was saying, it it's leaning in to what's going to happen. It's waiting. It's it's earnestly earnestly expecting something. And if you look around, 
you can see things kind of in that same fashion. You see that expectation or that or that longing for things to be right. You mm. know? Yeah, absolutely. And then our and then our last passage of scripture for the night, we just as a recap here, we uh in the restorative work of Christ we see that he uh uh, he brings us to the ability that we can approach the throne of God. We're sealed with the Spirit of God. He promises eternal life uh, to his uh, to his the redeemed with God, glorified body, glorified creation. And and look at this as we look at our world, Curtis and folks who are listening. We realize that there's a lot wrong with our world today. Yeah. And quite honestly, it gets worse and worse and worse all the time. And. You know, we made the decision a while back to not be focused on politics and, and things of this nature. Not that, not that there's not a call for that, not that there's not a need for that. Yeah, it's not that we don't pay attention to it. Yeah, absolutely. But understand that the ultimate solution is not found in politics. It's not found in politicians. It's found in the work of Christ because, look, eventually, not only is he going to restore all these things, but he is going to destroy demolish, crush, and obliterate the power of Satan and the powers of darkness. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 through 28, he says, For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each to his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then, at, then comes the end when he hands the kingdom to God, the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished. This, this is going to get me going, Curtis. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all and all. Every power, every dominion, every force of this universe will come under the dominion and power of Almighty God. That's right. That's right. So Satan, you can run, but you can't hide. Your days are coming, buddy. Right. Right. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I really hope that that the people, the listeners, uh, you know, enjoy going on this adventure with us, going through the Scripture, because as we pull the Scripture up and bubble it up, man, does it just stir the 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 faithfulness the it stirs your your desire your longing to just dig deeper into scripture a connection with god to the confidence in god knowing that he's already has a plan he set it in in motion and and we're along for the ride but we've got you know to engage with that ride and to love on people and help others be able to get to that point where they actually enjoy being on that ride with us amen well there you have it folks brian and i just want to say thank you uh, for spending time together with with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to, to strengthen your faith uh, and create this reliable source of information 
we do a lot of work on this podcast trying to give the information out to you. So join us next time on the Delaford Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, go so on, friends. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question.